Welcome back to Ibiza, the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. And first of all, I want to wish you a very happy Earth Day, a day when we get to celebrate this beautiful planet we're lucky enough to reside on, but especially here in Ibiza and this very special little lump of rock that we're all floating on right in the middle of the Balearic Sea. So I asked myself, what was it that I could give back to the island on Earth Day to give thanks And I kind of felt that this episode, which has been brewing for a while on wildfires, finally needed to make it into the series. The idea started in my head last summer as literally hundreds of fires were burning across the Mediterranean, not to mention the thousands of people, as a consequence, forcibly displaced by the scorching events running wild from Algeria to Turkey, Portugal, Spain, France, Tunisia, Italy, Greece and Lebanon. In fact, it seemed at one stage like the crisis would never end and only threatened to deepen, causing irreparable damage in what was a largely human-made climate change disaster. So with potentially another scorching summer on the way, it got me thinking about the dangers of fire in such dry terrain, like we have here in Ibiza in summertime, especially on our parched and often often singed land in the peak of summer. There have been times on Ibiza when we experienced our worst fears and wildfires flared up two years on the spin just over a decade ago. And I started to wonder what they looked like. What were the effects on our plant life, our ecosystems and wildlife? But also what can we do to prevent fire breaking out here again like it did in 2010 and again in 2011 in Ibiza's worst ever wildfires. So to begin with I'm taking you back in time on this episode to those years to hear more from the people who are caught up right in the thick of it. It just spread so 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 quickly I remember just grabbing my friend and potentially running to get our stuff and the flames just like roaring 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 at us and it actually felt quite apocalyptic running down cars blowing up bonkers like absolute like madness of everyone freaking out not knowing what to do. Anna McCall there who's a beloved yoga teacher on Ibiza and in 2010 she was working at what was then Ibiza Yoga based in Benaras and she told us how she was deep in the thick of Ibiza's very first wildfire. There were army vehicles all over the place, helicopters, the aeroplanes coming over. It was really quite horrendous and I remember we woke up one morning and it was absolutely silent because the wind had stopped and all that was happening is the ash was falling all around us and we went outside but it was like snowing but it was snowing ash it was just like it being a massive being in a disaster movie you know after a volcano or something but it was actually all the ash falling from the, from the crazy fires and it was yeah really horrendous time Toby Clark from Walking Ibiza explains what it looked like when the 2011 San Juan wildfire broke out we had problems hosting all the people that came from abroad from the mainland looking for bedrooms for for the pilots of the of the aeroplanes that came trying to give them a place to to rest the night so the next day they could continue doing their their job Oriel Carey there from Ibnat tells us how the logistical nightmare of Ibiza housing affected the firefighting operation and those working within it 
the amplitude of, of this fire was just flabbergasted. It was, it was huge. And Peter Lehner of Black Nose Wine, who also suffered a loss of land from his vineyards and saw smouldering embers right up to his doorstep. It was just heartbreaking, heartbreaking, because that nature is so delicate. That ecosystem is just so fragile. Plus, we conclude today's episode with a look at possible solutions and how we can work together to fight against fire in the future with a chat to Anna Digon, president of Spain's Regenerative Agriculture Association, who feels that livestock could be a huge help to prevent wildfire breaking out again this summer. But first... We begin at the beginning, and Ibiza's very first wildfire that got out of control in 2010 at Benaras, in the account of Anna McCall, a much-loved yoga teacher on our island that lost everything she possessed in the blaze. It was definitely one of the sort of most uh, epic experiences, I think, of my entire life. The first season that I came and decided to move to Ibiza brought everything over from London as you do in that moment of like right that's it life changing moving to Ibiza I moved down to Benaras where I was working at a yoga centre it was a very 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 dry summer and sort of it came to August full moon and it was a Sunday Benaras days beach days drum days wild days before kind of what Benaras is like now and and set up with a parking and any kind of system and people would just drive down and be parking for miles all the way up to nearly Cancarinae I don't know if you remember you probably do remember Um, and I think about four o'clock in the afternoon we just started a yoga session and someone came shouting just saying there's a fire get your stuff and we looked over and and, and the pine forest just went absolutely up in flames it was like you know how high those trees are they're about 30 30 foot high aren't they the forest where we'd been staying and just so happened the staff that we were we were staying in in big army tents in the forest living the ibiza dream you know the the feral wild living ibiza dream until you know the forest sets on fire and it was just raging there hadn't been any rain there hadn't been any downpour for such a long time that it just flicked and it was like roaring 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 and we had to run down to the beach where there were at least like 1500 people down on the beach for Benaras Sundays you know drumming um and it just spread so 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 quickly I remember just grabbing my friend and potentially running to get our stuff and the flames just like roaring 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 at us and it actually felt quite apocalyptic running down cars blowing up I mean bonkers like absolute like madness of everyone freaking out not knowing what to do um sitting on the beach for a while and then at one point there there was just so much smoke that you couldn't see your hand for like a meter in front of you um and at that time, I know there was a big fire the following year, which was much, much bigger than this one. But at the time, I think that there was not really, it just wasn't very equipped somehow Ibiza to deal with the fire. And so it took such a long time for anyone to come and little boats were coming from San Miguel to rescue people off the beach because they couldn't get up the road to get out. Um, I think, I believe, I remember the fire going on for at least two or three days afterwards going back to try and 
filter in and they're still being like bursts of fire and flames happening. Did you lose all of your stuff or did you manage to make it to the tent and rescue all of your things? I lost pretty much everything I moved over from London to Ibiza with. I brought like all my best stuff, lost my, like literally everything. I ran to the tent, tried to pick something up, but the flames were about 15 metres away and just kind of roaring, burning so, so hard that there was maybe a few of us who were living in, in, in the, you know, the staff accommodation in the forest that lost everything, like everything, clothes, passport, car, like everything, every all my material possessions, um, which was, you know, a big cleanse, <laughs> but also just shows you the incredible, like an immense power of nature and how it can just completely just swoop in and just change the story completely it was really really immense so on a personal level it was pretty pretty intense for me um luckily there wasn't any kind of much other damage in general um you know everybody survived and I think at that point there's not that much wildlife in the forest is there here in Ibiza which is quite a weird thing isn't it it's hardly any wildlife in the forest um so you know on that that level it was great that nothing you know there wasn't there wasn't a huge huge amount of damage but I don't know if you remember seeing seeing what Benares looked like for years after that it was like a a massive stinky ashtray for for years afterwards I actually wasn't on the island in 2010 so I didn't see the Benares fire um I didn't see the 2011 San Juan fire either so I haven't experienced either of these massive massive conservational uh, nightmares and ecological whitewashes it's it, it just looked the whole area was just completely and utterly war-torn like you said it was all I could see were these naked blackened gray and white sort of trees from pretty much you know from I'd say the top of Cancarune like you said all the way down to the Benaras beach and then all the way across the valley down towards Cala San Vicente from the second fire so I think it was a hell of a lot of nature that got completely wiped out in that and that's um you know what a way to arrive to lose everything you possess what a shocker yeah absolutely I definitely I had to go home for a bit obviously <laughs> but um it was definitely one of those moments that you know you know you come to Ibiza everyone's like well it either embraces you or it spits you out <laughs> spat me out but you know I came crawling back so <laughs> But yeah, absolutely. It's incredible, though, how it's all grown and how different it looks from just those five or six years ago or, you know, not five or six, that's 10 years ago, actually. But um, so from that that 10 years ago, how much it has regenerated and how green it is and how much is growing and like how different from that from that wasteland that it was like absolutely like kilometers of wasteland there was for a number of years and it was like it went through the smell went through your clothes through your hair through everything like you just enter those areas and you come out being like can't get it off but yeah for me it was it was definitely definitely an interesting welcome (laughs) talk about Ibiza putting you through your paces you know and nature putting you through your paces but it's you know very humbling to experience something like that and it just be completely out of any control of any humans I don't think for that one there was ever a, a cause of fire but it could literally have been like a flick of a cigarette or it could have been anything of any of these things that people carelessly just don't think about because it's so dry 
so dry in August. What did you, you know, obviously you say you came crawling back, but after that experience, do you think you, you know, were you kind of feeling a little bit, I mean, obviously slightly traumatised, but how are you kind of feeling about returning after that experience? How are you feeling about being in Ibiza? I was really conflicted because of obviously sometimes you have to take a sign for something. You know, I don't know, you're told these things that maybe it will spit you out. And I was like, well, maybe this is a clear sign that it's, it's you know, kicked me out. But I just... As with so many of us who move here, there's just something that steals your heart about this place. Something about the nature and the energy and the people that really captures you. And I just couldn't really get over or get past the connections that I'd made, the experiences that I'd had, including that one, which was probably the most like bonkers experience of my life, you know, having to run for my life from a raging forest fire. And yeah I mean it was you know I had to rebuild quite a lot because that was what I'd made the decision to be my life was to move to Ibiza sort of had to end up sort of calling back to London for a while reconfigure reconvene figure it out and then (laughs) I remember being like do I go back to Ibiza do I go back to Ibiza and it really came down to (laughs) I was taking my driving test for the seventh time and was like if I pass it I'll go and if I don't I'll stay (laughs) and I passed so (laughs) that was that but yeah it was pretty I don't know my heart I think sometimes when you know you know that you need to be somewhere and experiences happen anywhere don't they and things are always given to you to learn something maybe (laughs) just like you described with the nature like regrowing and it's come back greener and thicker and stronger and bigger and more beautiful than I've ever seen it I mean I think isn't that what fire does isn't that what nature I mean you know obviously sometimes we interfere as the residents and the inhabitants that you know are in the thick of the nature that we are the ones that can start a fire but ultimately often those kinds of fires can kind of organically begin and then you kind of you know you kind of see what that kind of reset it's like a reset button well exactly that's exactly that's exactly it isn't it it's um just going through these natural cycles of nature and you know at the moment this sort of period of time is a very small period of time in the grand scheme of it all isn't it and think of how many times that must have regenerated and regenerated and regenerated and I guess it has to like it always has to that's the natural cycle of it and nature and but do you feel like it had a similar effect on your life you came here you lost absolutely everything you possess and like you know it's kind of like a it's it's a total kind of you know whitewash of everything you possess so it's, you kind of came here and it all got destroyed and you have to go away and work out I guess whether you were really going to come back and uh, and give it another go yeah right it is interesting that you say that it's such a it is a bit of a reflection isn't it on the sort of grander scheme of the natural rhythm of it but that's exactly yeah exactly it was it was really a reset you know I think I'd already sort of come here as a reset and then that was given as another reset (laughs) and just losing all of your stuff you know we're so sort of attached to all our stuff was definitely a big learning in kind of many 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 things (laughs) it was an incredible humbling and an incredible reminder that we do go in these cycles and that shit happens over and over again doesn't it in life and for us as we are nature you know are we are living breathing pieces of nature we've got all this other stuff and stories that we've created but essentially we're in these natural cycles of like rebirth of like destruction rebirth losing shit starting again like and it happens for all of us you know and if 
we're not there there's like a stagnation if we're not going through those cycles I think that that creates some kind of stagnation doesn't it which I guess it does in nature you must have wanted to be on this island pretty badly to come back for more I mean you know I know that living here as we've talked about on this podcast a thousand times is not an easy place to live Ibiza you know will definitely lay down the gauntlet you know in many many different ways and I don't think that could have been any more of a tricky beginning than anybody else that's decided to pick up sticks and actually move to this island and and then to encounter five minutes after arriving losing everything and then you know possibly could have been a hell of a lot worse yeah absolutely this as I said there's just something something about the nature something I think once you've stepped out of your London life or whatever life you have before and you experience this like this actual living and this being so present and being in this that's the thing about this island that it does teach you to be absolutely present and welcome to change constantly and there was something about that that there was some immense obviously curiosity about what else it could show or what else it could unravel and to be honest it wasn't like a simple I just moved back to Ibiza I was like back and forth for a long time and then I never actually decided to fully settle here I just came came for a month or two and then stayed (laughs) so it wasn't it wasn't such an easy simple kind of like charge I'm doing this it was definitely a lot of toing and froing and and dipping my toes in and double checking And how do you feel about, you know, the whole kind of fire story now? I mean, obviously it feels, you know, it's like a decade ago. It was a very long time ago. But how do you kind of feel looking back on it now? It's interesting. It sometimes feels like it just like a a sort of absurd story that never really happened. And I do have to check in with a friend who I experienced it with sometimes to be like, did that really happen as I remember it? Because it was huge. I mean, it was huge huge thousands of people being rescued by boats to to get off the beach because we couldn't see and the smoke would have probably caused a lot more damage than than even the fire itself but I look back on it and I do see it as a huge a huge huge sort of transformational transitional period and you know I'm all right (laughs) thank god for that I'm very very glad that you're still here with us and how do you you know does that make you more cautious now about you know when you see people flicking cigarette butts around or do you you know do you ever kind of think oh my god you know it could happen again yeah absolutely I mean I'm so cautious of that and also we do you know we do regularly have fires here like every year there is some kind of fire or something that happens there just hasn't been something quite as big as the 2010 and 2011 fires which were huge but I think that's also partly because perhaps there's been sort of better systems implemented to deal with them because before there really wasn't I remember waiting for planes from Palmer to come and bring you know pick up water to to do the thing (laughs) Um, but I think you know they're much 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 more on it and I mean personally I'm kind of like I see the smoke and I do I do still have moments of like my heart sometimes kind of like condensing back into my body when I see smoke and I feel like it could be a fire or if someone mentions a fire there are lots of those sort of underlying sort of nervous sensations that come back but yeah I just trust that it is all part of the process as you say it's a regeneration and it you know, it's nature and it happens. According to sources of the Conselleria de Medi Ambiente, Agriculture y Pesca, in 2017 there were 95 forest fires that burned 168 hectares in the Balearic Islands. In fact, every single year we have fires in Ibiza. 
but thankfully most of them don't get as big as the ones more than 10 years ago. However, negligence and accidents have caused 58% of claims, while intentional fires have created around 20% of the damage. In 2018, the government reinforced the fire protection system, and this campaign aims to reduce the high risk of fires throughout the Balearic Islands, in the hope that Ibiza and Formentera will see their capacity to prevent and fight fire increased. In August 2010, many lessons were learned from Ibiza's biggest wildfire to date. But less than one year later, an even bigger wildfire began. On the 24th of May 2011, Ibiza began a battle with its biggest wildfire in its history. Firefighters fought on the ground and by air to attack the flames, which were being helped by increased humidity and calm winds. And Peter Lehner of Black Nose Wines, who owns the San Juan Vineyard with his brother Tino, told me how it affected their land. We were both of us in Switzerland and we, we read about this fire. We immediately called uh, the, our friends here, our neighbours. Uh, some of them, uh, most of them were evacuated. Uh, one or two, they decided to stay despite the evacuation order. Um, and I checked whether you know the next flight I could come and they told me no no don't come now you cannot get to the house at least for a few days so uh, we will uh, give the green light uh, as soon as the situation is under control because it was a huge fire I mean you you cannot underestimate it it was uh, I think uh, 1,300 hectares that that burned uh, up here which is one third of the whole forest in the north of the island and so to bring this fire under control with the very windy um, conditions there they were prevailing at the moment uh, was uh, was a lengthy exercise but they did a fantastic job the bomberos they managed to preserve all the houses i think not one single house was really burned maybe some of them affected a bit but uh, and we could see the last rows of the olives the exterior side was completely burnt and uh, the other part was still green uh, so the fire came really close uh, close uh, to our house and uh, so after one week i contacted again uh, uh, a friend here and he told me yes now it's open we can get to the house so i took a flight and came here and uh, behind our house is a little uh, forest really a small forest with old and big pine trees and the soil was still smoking uh, so it was I'm, i was there with a water hose to extinguish the last uh, smokes and uh, i then started to walk around and i saw all these uh, trees that were were gone and huge holes with the roots where you could really follow where the fire entered into the land following the roots it was uh, yeah it was really a very very horrifying uh, scenery uh, that uh, that uh, i saw there and uh, honestly at that moment the, the only thing was to say okay we 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 have to see what happened uh, so i checked everything uh, but indeed uh, except as i said these olive trees uh, none of the things we had planted or the house were really uh, affected so I was from that point of view a bit uh, relaxed. The, it was still smelling a lot of smoke. It was not a nice uh, taste we can smell of the of the garlic, uh, with, you know, with rosemary and stuff like that. It was really a horrible uh, smoke with this uh, wet uh, from the from the fire extinguish. I mean, from the water they dropped on it. And so I think the idea to do. Uh, something uh, was uh, at least it took us at least in, uh, one year to 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 even think about an idea 
the first thing we really did was to walk around, uh, then be amazed about these terraces. After a few days, we, you know, we went through, and everywhere was smoke, and you had to be careful not to to melt. I think some of the shoes are still. <laughs> you can still see. I can that. still see the yeah uh, yeah the smoky <laughs> remnants on the soles of your your feet. I mean, you know, that must have been really shocking. And I remember, you know, I spent a lot of time in the south of France as a child, and I remember those big forest fires that used to happen there. And it's it is terrifying, you know, particularly when it's the your home has gone up in smoke. And you said that you actually arrived here and you saw smoking embers in the soil next to your front door. Yes, that's really uh, something I wish nobody to see because it's uh, even the first night, you know, I was still thinking, does it, I mean, it, it was, of course, uh, it was extinguished. So, but for me, I'm not used to a situation like that. And I, uh, yeah, I, was, I was a bit frightened uh, whether it could start again uh, or not. But uh, they reassured me uh, the next day when I spoke to someone, they said, oh, no, that's, that's gone, that's finished. And then we started to walk around and, uh, yeah, assess uh, the the damage also on the in the nature uh, we also drove uh, some caminos to see uh, how it was and really i mean it was uh, the, the amplitude of of this fire was just flabbergasting it was it, it was huge 3,500 acres of vegetation was burned in the fire around San Juan and, as a safety measure, the island's authorities evacuated some 800 people between San Juan and Cala San Vicente. On the third day, Friday the 27th of May, the blaze was much more stable, but not quite under control. And that night, the Interior Minister of the Regional Government of the Balearic Islands, Pilar Costa, spoke at a news conference. He said he was moderately optimistic that the fire would be slowly stabilised. But how did it start? I went back to some of the parched lands nearby with Toby Clark, a walking guide on the island, who told me how police arrested a 50-year-old Spanish national of Argentine origin on suspicion of starting the fire accidentally. Yeah, it was really quite um, a sad story. It was a totally an accident. Um, a beekeeper who was from Argentina, and he'd been here for something like 20-plus years, and he was emptying out, you know, where they make this the smoke to, to, to um, dampen down the, the activity of the bees before they take the honey out. And he, he went um, by the side of a tree and emptied out the charcoal, which they make the smoke with, walked away, and then it just apparently one spark led to another spark led to another spark, and suddenly the tree was on fire, the next tree was on fire, and he couldn't stop it. And it got totally out of hand, and he tried to stop it all. And then, um, yeah, the fire just got going and going and going. The conditions were right for a fire, unfortunately. The wind was blowing. It was it been super, super hot and dry. No rain for a couple of months. And it just got going, and it was really, really un- unfortunate accident. So, yeah, this beekeeper led a very simple life and he actually got arrested after the fire because they well, they worked out what had happened and he actually went and told the police what had happened so they arrested him chucked him in prison and he was in prison for over three months and he led a really really simple life so he was really um yeah struggling with it all and in the end there was a massive campaign over Ibiza and we went marching to actually get him released from prison because he, he was leading a simple life and apparently and I don't know if this is actually true but if the government um, pins the fire on an individual then they've got um, they get compensation for it and that's why they wanted to pin it on someone and that's why they put him in prison and he was they said they kept him in prison because if he left and they just let him go back to his house and um, that they said that he would he'd flee back to Argentina which is where he's actually from which was a load of rubbish so there was a whole hoo-ha about that and it was quite horrible how the, the government dealt with it all. 
even though this fire was started by accident by a spark from the beekeeper's smoker used to pacify bees and so people can protect themselves from getting stung. That is all it takes. Just one tiny little spark and dramatic damage can be done. So how can we prevent wildfires from taking over not just Europe but our beloved island again in the future? About 500 firefighters fought the blaze that Friday with seven helicopters being brought in to help and about a dozen planes from the mainland of Spain and also from Mallorca, where one man in particular came to the rescue from Ibanat, the Natural Institute of the Balearics, who helped fight the fire. I spoke to Oriel Carré, whose own father died in 2005, in the line of duty as a pilot fighting a fire in August 2005 during the extinction of a forest fire in the Sierra de Tramontana. He's fully aware of the dangers of wildfire, but said, in their eyes, the way it was fought was a huge success, as nobody was hurt and no houses were completely lost. Our top priority, uh, first of all, is uh, people. So, in a sense, we didn't have any injuries. We didn't have any um, any people got killed. So, that, in a way, makes it an, a success, okay? Our second priority are especially houses or, or, or infrastructure. And we have to say we had two houses that were affected uh, seriously uh, structurally. We had 90 houses that had received damages, cosmetic damages, we will say. And that's not very good. But uh, in this type of emergency, there's nothing we, co- we can do to prevent that. Okay, um, It's more down to the responsibility of the owners. Uh, and and that makes the difference to save a house or, or a house to get destroyed is mainly on the prevention the owner makes of his homes. And lastly, but not only, is the effects on the, on the environment, okay? We consider it this way because although it might seem that the environment is very important and it is very important for us, we have to remember that fires is, is a natural cause in these ecosystems, okay? It, it, may, it plays a major role, okay? And to a certain extent, plants have adapted throughout the years to survive to forest fires. The only change is the rate and the way they are burning. And that's a concern. But pine trees need fires to to reproduce. They look for open areas. And if you go walk around, you'll see that uh, in 10 years, vegetation is growing up. Mm, And and especially Ibiza has has a... a very powerful um, generation uh, regeneration force. Okay, um, what worries us is the that we lose the the ability to regenerate, and that um, especially when when we lose soil, if we've got erosion after the fire, if if we've got very powerful rain after forest fires, then we've got a problem, or if uh, we, leave, we lose the ability to produce seeds or, or, or we have like recurrent fires. If we have fires very close to each other, let's say in two years time of difference, that makes a severe impact on, on, the, on the ecosystem. But if we give it time, nature to, to recover, 
it's it's uh, it's part of the dynamic of the ecology. It's hurtful if you if you walk around on a on a burnt forest. It hurts your soul, but um, you have to understand that is part of of the cycle of nature. Plants are fabulous. They they give us they produce uh, wood from carbon dioxide and water, but it's only part of the cycle. They need the reverse uh, process, which is bringing down the wood to uh, carbon dioxide and water again. And normally, you do it by uh, decomposition. So in in a forest, um, it grows and it gets mature. And sometimes or continuously, there's processes of decomposition of wood dying and, and getting the nutrients back to the soil. Here in, in the Balearic Islands, the thing is that we are lacking um, a lot of water. It's a limited resource. So this process is very, very limited. That's why in a natural state, we need fires to, to break down the amount of, of uh, wood that keeps on producing every year. Okay, We're not extracting wood uh, to warm our houses. Nobody's using the the, um, the amount of 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 uh, products that the wood is that the forest is giving us, and that makes that every time we're having more and more um, material, we look at it if, as if it's a fuel. Okay, other colleagues see it as, as timber, and that changes the way uh, and the rate and the frequency of of the fires we are having, okay? So until we change um, this, we are gonna have um, even more and um, more intense fires, okay? So how do we stop these fires happening again? Uh, it's a work of every part can, the problem basically is that, um, the benefits that we obtain from the from the forest doesn't uh, benefit the owner of the forest. Uh, Ibiza is ninety eight percent owned by by private owners, and we all benefit from the views, from the oxygen that the that the woods produce, but none of the benefits are are reaching to the to the owner, uh, and that's uh, a thing that it's difficult to to change that's a, a, a difficult question to how do we prevent this from happening uh, again is uh, we have to try and and think that it's a, a responsibility from all of the people who who benefit from from the forest and sometimes it's in small actions like consuming local goods making local farmers keep on on business makes a difference uh, by by a farmer having a cow on on a piece of land produces um, a new environment that makes it much easier for us to to stop fires in in a in a farm than if we've got continuous um, lands of of pine trees and 
all the same age, all the same sizes, that's quite uh, difficult. So there's some, to some extent, we can all, all do something to avoid. First, stop using fires that could eventually or potentially start um, a big fire like, like this one. And uh, secondly, uh, trying to use local local goods, um, especially farm farm goods. How quickly did the area regenerate from the way it was left after the fire? The first thing that was done was to remove the the wood, the timber that was left unburnt. This is mainly to prevent insects from from thriving and, and, and causing disease that could spread and could make make it worse. Second, that uh, it's uh, fuel that um, can affect future fires and then have an, a, a, a deep impact on on forest fires next next season. So once the wood was was taken away, mainly by private companies who who did the job on and took the the timber, the wood, then it depends on on how much rain uh, you have next uh, next season. Uh, but it's quite quickly. If you, if you go walking around the area, you, you'll see that um, we can't say it's completely recovered, but uh, as soon as the trees get seeds and, um, and we've, we can look for pine cones, we can assure that, um, that we have assured the first objective that we, that we need is that if another forest fire comes, it will eventually be able to regenerate. In 2012, I did the walk around the island with Toby Clark. I'll never forget that part of the 252-kilometre walk. The smell of smoke, the charred remnants of the trees, and sheer volume of land and branches, or the little stumps of trees, crispy and ashen. It was my least favourite part of that walk. I found it eerie and desolate to traverse the length of the land and witness every inch of its cremation. I found it heartbreaking, but as Oriel points out, maybe I was wearing the wrong lens and maybe this is all part of the story of wildfires in the way that they rebirth the surrounding area. And as he says, they're not really that preventable anyways if the conditions are just right for it. That's when disaster can strike and really it doesn't take much at all to get things going. If you are listening to this and enjoying and learning a little bit from the story so far, please have a little think about your impact this summer. Even just the tiny possibility that one cigarette butt, one campfire or fire pit can absolutely cause devastation. It's a very real possibility. Unless that very land or interaction of it is reconfigured. And that is how I wish to conclude today's podcast with the chat I had to Anna Digon, the president of the Regenerative Agriculture Association of Spain, because I started to read about how livestock can really help take away so much of the debris that makes fire spread faster and wider. And I wanted to end on a positive note because... We've all seen the devastation last summer. Every time we put our TV screens on from California to Australia and right here and all across Europe, wildfires were ripping people's lives and wildlife to shreds. I was terrified at the sights of baby koalas being gently lifted to safety and kangaroos looking shell-shocked and tinged with grey as they'd attempted to bound to cooler climes and failed. 
So as much as we can all do our part in terms of being cautious, we can also have a little think about what the actual solution is. And for me, I felt Anna wrap things up perfectly and very eloquently. My name's Anna Digon. And for the last 10 years, I have been the president of the Spanish Association of Regenerative Agriculture. So I work with farmers across Spain and Portugal and the Balearic Islands, of course. And we basically aim for production and that is more than sustainable, that is regenerating natural resources. So uh, cattle in particular is a tool that can be very damaging to the ecosystem or it can be very regenerative and useful for the ecosystem. So we aim to show farmers how to manage their cattle and how to manage their plants and their soil in such a way that we recover holistic connections that are in favor of life and that are regenerating those resources, soil, water, clean water, clean air, and producing healthy, tasty, wonderful food. And it's not about going vegan or going vegetarian, which are very valuable options for those people for whom that works. It's about understanding the whole system the whole natural system in which herbivores are actually a key piece of that system. And they are very key and interesting because they have legs. So they walk, they eat grass and plants and turn that into amazing protein and all sorts of things, and then produce wonderful um, manure that is food for the soil again. So they're a wonderful machine of producing great food for us, for people, and also for the soil and for plants. It's about how we manage those animals. And it's about the consumer understanding and supporting the kind of management that is good for the environment and that is good for our health as well and the health of the animals. I used to live in Ibiza from 2000 to 2008. And so it's a place that's so dear to my heart and that is where my love for nature really awakened. And it's something that really runs through you, you know, when you connect with nature, with the sea, with the forest, with the animals, and Ibiza is a great place for that. So when in 2010, I heard about the fires, I followed that very much live because my friends there were telling us about what was going on. And it was just heartbreaking, heartbreaking, because that nature is so delicate. That ecosystem is just so fragile that to have a fire like that roaring through is just incredibly damaging. And so it was, it was painful from a human point of view of knowing people living there and also from an environmental point of view of the destruction that that is. On the other hand, if we put that into a larger context um, of, in time and in geology, fires are one of the tools that nature has to clean and to open up space for new things. So that's, you know, if we, if we step back from the emotional and human side and of our short lifespan, then in the bigger picture, a fire like that is actually coming to clean up something that was in a way that was necessary in some way. So it's about how we deal with that in order to fit in with our own needs as human beings with short lifespans. Interesting. I mean, no one, you know, no one really talks about that angle, really. I mean, the guy... Oriel, talk to talk to me about that, you know, a little bit, and the fact that obviously it's very cleansing for the land to have this regenerative 
um, you know, obviously destruction, destruction, but also rebirth essentially of um, of the forestry. And I think, you know, although that's very heartbreaking and, um, you know, not very nice to look at, to, you know, to begin with, even now, um, two episodes ago, three episodes ago, I was up at um, Black Nose Wines and, you know, he literally saw the embers and the trees burning right next to his front door. I mean, it was just so, so close. And obviously that's very scary for a lot of um, people that live there. But I think, as you say, in the bigger picture of things, um, it is very important also to kind of look at the more positive aspects of fire and the things that it that it can do for the land. I mean, in terms of this idea of, um, you know, livestock um, grazing and cleaning and clearing the forest, I mean, what preventative um, benefits are there from that? Because it's it sort of felt like it was something that was maybe um, not encouraged and actually even made almost illegal um, in some parts of Spain and the Balearics. So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what this really means for the earth and what this can actually do moving forward? So a fire like that in, in the bigger perspective is actually a healing process for the land. But it's not convenient for us as humans, as the people who live there, to have that happen on our doorstep. No? So if we want to prevent that kind of fire, if we want that not to happen, we need to take preventive measures. And one of the best tools that there are for that is something that has traditionally, historically happened naturally and then has been managed by humans over millennia, which is using grazing animals in the forest to clear the lower forest, the bush, all the the dead bits, all the bits that are falling, all the bits that are growing and occupying spaces in between the trees and making it very easy for the fire to just rush through and making it very difficult for humans to get in that space to stop that fire. So we can use those grazing animals in a managed way. It has to be well done so that it's not, again, not damaging the land and not damaging um, the plants. But Animals are wonderful tools for this, in particular goats. And goats are really, I mean, cows are great, but there's not that many cows in Ibiza. Cows uh, have a bigger weight. They can squash the plants. And uh, if you have a more rustic kind of, kind of uh, breed of cow, they will do quite well on that kind of undergrowth sort of vegetation. But you need certain kinds of breeds for that, which I haven't seen on the island. Now, goats, however, there's a lot of goats on the island. In fact, there is a problem with in certain areas with goats. And if goats could be used and herded appropriately, they could be used as a tool to clean those forests and keep them clean. And also uh, do uh, perhaps patches or let's say wide paths that are completely clear of trees and of vegetation. And those goats and sheep can be used to maintain those big, what we call in Spanish, cortafuegos. No? It's like cutting the, the, the advance of the fire with a very wide piece of land that has no vegetation. And this is one of those, those strategies. But as well as that, having those, those literally stop fire stoppers within the forest, you can use those goats to manage the vegetation appropriately, which also means that then you can walk into those forests. You know, people can also use those forests and walk around and enjoy them. And so, but this needs to be done in a well-organized and managed way so that it's not damaging. And I would say it needs to be compensated. It's a service 
that that somebody who's herding goats in the forest like that is doing for society. However, unfortunately, we have we're at the the completely um, you know ridiculous situation where this kind of practice is actually made illegal. Not only is it not supported, it's actually penalized. You know, so we need to turn that around. I mean, the the response to all of the the challenges that we have right now often is technological. However, technology is wonderful, but it should be used appropriately. And not all responses are technological. Technology should be accompanying more natural responses. So, for example, uh, when we do managed grazing, planned grazing, which is what regenerative agriculture is about, is planning the grazing and having animals in a space for, for a specific time, say a day, two, three days in one space, and then you move them on to the next space and on to the next space. And so time is the essence. The time that animals are in a particular space, having access to plants and eating them and then leaving their manure behind and stomping on the plants, which is a wonderful impact to that soil. But then you need to move them on because if they stay there, they'll be eating the regrowth of different plants. And that's probably not what you want, unless you really want to leave it bare. You know? But if you want the vegetation to come back and to be healthy and varied, you need to move on the animals. And for this, we need fencing, which up to now has involved either fixed fencing or electric fencing, which is movable. Now, there's technology now that has just begun to be used here in Spain, uh, which is amazing, which is, imagine this, virtual fencing. You can put collars on animals that will let them know where the virtual fence, which you have set on your mobile phone, is placed so that you can actually manage a forest, a mountain with different types of cattle without putting any fences into the forest, which is any physical fences, which is amazing. This, you know, is, is technology at its best where it's serving a purpose. So basically, this is they've started to experiment with this in Spain. We're working with in the association with some of the pioneering farmers that are using this. And it is especially useful in mountain and forest situations where you cannot or should not be fencing up the forest. So what you do is these collars, they work on just 2G. So it doesn't need a lot of coverage as well, a lot of phone cover, which is great. And, and basically you on, on, on the application, you set which are the limits where you want the fence to be on a map. And then when the animals are out in the forest, they will get a sound signal that will tell them, oh, I'm coming close to that point where the fence, uh, virtual fence is. And we, I've seen animals being trained in this and how it works. And it's amazing because the animals get it really quickly and it's not at all uh, stressful or damaging to them, but they understand how it works. And so, you know, that you can use this kind of technology to do this. Imagine if Ibiza could be a pioneer in this as well, you know, in managing forests in a way that is, that is totally respectful to the environment and to the animals. But at the same time, you're getting all of those benefits. And I think Ibiza would do really well to seriously consider this this kind of work as something that needs to be promoted and that needs to be compensated and that can prevent those fires that for us humans are terribly destructive but that if we don't prevent well nature's just going to go that way <laughs> sooner or later it feels 
you know, last summer that, you know, pretty much half of Europe was on fire. I mean, it was quite actually frightening, I think, for a lot of people. You know, it was it wasn't just Spain, it was Greece, it was it was Italy, it was really everywhere. There was a, a real heat wave and it was just yeah, it was really, really I found it a little bit challenging to 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 witness the footage that we were kind of seeing really um in the news and and elsewhere. And that's really when this story started to emerge for me when I was kind of feeling, I don't know, a little bit anxious, I think, about, you know, there was obviously those massive fires in Australia as well. And it it really felt like there was just a lot of fire happening. And of course, we've talked about the positive effects of that. But I, I feel like it is, you know, still and could be quite devastating for Ibiza to catch fire somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, um, again, this summer. And it, and, it, and it does feel like a very possible risk but I have heard that that there are a lot of donkeys on Ibiza randomly um, and then and there's a really amazing guy doing some work uh, a shepherd the shepherding kind of feels like a very ancient craft in lots of ways and you know when you talk about shepherds you kind of think of I don't know practices that were used you know millennia ago but it but it is you know a very incredible thing that I think that needs to be encouraged and you were saying about the you know, the, pen, uh, the penalising of these um, shepherds and, um, you know, for the destruction or mess that they may cause. And even one one guy was telling me about, you know, the animals, if they die, then they get penalised for that as well. I think for the removal of the bodies. I mean, it just, you know, what can we do, do you think, to, to kind of make this more feasible um, for farmers or for shepherds to, to come to the island with more animals? Because as you said, it's not just about removing the debris and, eradicating the risk of fire it's also about regenerating the land so it's it's a very positive thing really because it's doing two things at the same time I mentioned earlier goats as a really good animal for this kind of forest management now donkeys I mean donkeys are amazing I mean they're even better I've seen donkeys clear a whole valley full of of uh, brambles and it's like it's amazing the work that they do so if there's donkeys on the island that can do that kind of work that needs to be stimulated thinking about how to make that real first of all the administrations and the people in charge people who are managing those public lands often as well as private owners need to change their perspective and understand that this is important work now this year most of Spain has, is going through a, dr- a drought. I speak to farmers all around Spain constantly, and they are really, really worried. I mean, it's a really bad situation this year. So this is going to mean that there's going to be a lot more dry matter in the forests and therefore a lot more forest risk, forest fire risk. This is a reality. We cannot hide this under the carpet. So, you know, we're probably, unfortunately, going to be seeing the effect of that this summer. So we need to basically pull our finger out and think of solutions that are not super costly, but the, what they require is planning and they require support. The money's there. It's going to come. That's one way of doing it. But for that, you need to have the local administration on board, at the very least, giving the permission and allowing these things to happen. And in a much better situation would be being the ones who are going, yeah, let's do this. And they're going to be saving so much in resources, in public resources, because fires are also a huge expense of public resources. 
you know so it costs us all a lot not just emotionally and and you know and, and in our hearts when we see these fires but also it has a very real economic cost to deal with that so it's it's preventing so as not to have to then deal with the problem and the cost when they come and part of that prevention you know the this kind of idea it's basically what is what used to be done so let's just recover that give people employment opportunities give people reasons to live in the countryside and to create community to bring funds in and you know and to and to be an example and if you link that up for example with the university of the balearics or with research institutions then you've got a series of partners who can then also do a follow up of what's going on extract data show results publish things you know then you've kind of got a really nice package there and that that is, that is very inspiring to other regions as well but of course you need people who are very dedicated and who are very committed within the administrations and outside of the administrations and i think that's the challenge the challenge is human the tools are all there it's so true and i think ibiza is um you know it's one of those places where it can be used as like a microcosm of 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 change because for many you know it's such a small island where you can try new things there i think quite quickly and really see yeah. the effects and results like quicker um yeah. i think than many other places and i think you know it would be great to see that happening particularly with the history of all the farmers kind of leaving the farming world because of tourism coming back in the sort of you know 70s and 80s and you know the land is is vastly desertified there which is obviously half of the problem but as you just pointed out with the the idea of creating community again you know that's the one thing that kind of i i believe is at the heart of the issue really is the fact that there's nobody there's nobody living in that land it's completely dead there's no yeah. one there and no one would even spot a fire even if it even if it started and and that's mm. you know kind of part of the problem i think and to bring people back to the land to bring people back to the countryside and and to get them you know back in the land i mean it's already you know really starting to happen there's a you know i got your number from a beautiful whatsapp group i'm part of like a of regenerative agriculture um or farmers basically and um i'm learning so much from from being in that group and going to the meetings that they have each month that mm. a beef produce organizes and that's that's how i got to to know that you exist and the, mm. the amazing work that you do so i think it you know there is there is positive um change happening in abita but it, it mm. still feels like there's quite a bit of work to be done in that department so um mm. i'm very interested to any finally any plans that you might have for abita specifically or what changes that you would like to see there well i think abita is very fortunate to have projects like Bisa Produce and the local organic farmers association which i used to be part of many years ago so i was part of a a group who let's say um revitalized that organization around about 2002 so uh, and now the people who are there are just so wonderful and motivated and there's so much going on you know so really it's 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 gone a long way since 20 years ago and and i think that the way that they're going about things is great so what is needed is more support to those things and more people joining in and also ibiza is by its nature no it's a place uh, where people come and go so so it's very transient and it's very difficult to get people committed to projects yeah and uh, so it's great that there's people who are committed and i think there's a lot to be said there for inspiring visitors to fall in love with nature 
and to see how they can personally have an impact, a positive impact. And so it's, it's the work, you know, to promote the work of the local groups and of the local farmers, I think is a great thing to invest in and to give support to those local groups from the local administrations in a way that facilitates their work. So there are some really exciting projects coming up on the island in terms of regenerative agriculture and community building that I will be bringing you alongside Abitha Produce this summer in a brand new podcast focusing purely on that subject. If you want to help us raise some of the money to make the stories available, we'd love for you to help us and to put some money into the pot for that project to get lift off. If so, and you have a desire to hear that series, we are crowdfunding on justgiving.com slash crowdfunding slash Ibiza Regeneration Podcast. Now, I'm going to leave you with that link in our episode show notes and would be enormously grateful of any help that you can lend us to launch in May. Thank you so much for joining us on The Reset Rebel this week. Please do go and leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed today's show. It really, really helps us to get found and gain traction in the wider podcasting abyss that is now around about 4 million podcasts. Um, So every little helps. Next week, um, we have a really exciting week ahead and we're teaming up for a very special episode of the show from the International Music Summit in collaboration with Earth Percent, the charity of none other than musician and producer Mr Brian Eno, who is, of course, the brains behind much of Coldplay's music and also U2, not to mention his old band Roxy Music. Brian is calling for a revolution in the wider music industry's approach to climate change. He launched Earth Percent as a charity, providing a simple way for the music industry to support the most impactful organisations addressing the climate emergency. Mr Eno suggests the climate crisis should be reframed as a climate opportunity, which I absolutely love. And I sincerely hope that we will grab a little bit of a chat with the man himself as well as so many other musicians and industry bodies at that three-day event. I'm also helping run the Eco Lounge um, and some of those keynote talks on how we can all help and get together. But what Abitha specifically needs to do to change the narrative of the traditional storyline that we see in the summertime of people flying in, using and abusing the island and not leaving things the way they found them after they've had all the fun the island has to offer. And to say that I'm a little bit proud to be hosting some of these talks alongside my co-working space, The Hub, where I work in the studios, where I'm recording this right now. Um, I also use um, The Hub as my office. Um, is, a, is a bit of an understatement. It's going to be an incredibly exciting week. Um, so if you are visiting us this summer or even maybe attending the IMS, drop me a line to joe at resetrebelproductions.com. I'll see you next week. And once again, thank you so much for listening. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel.